we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. What is a spiritual life? Is it a life of total freedom? Freedom from sorrow, freedom from fear, freedom from all conditioning, to be free. Hello and welcome to episode 174 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from the archives representing different approaches to many of the fundamental issues and questions that we all face in our lives. This week's theme is spirituality. Upcoming themes are pain, responsibility and teaching. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in Hampshire, UK. Brockwood is also home to Brockwood Park School, a unique international boarding school offering a personalised, holistic education for around 70 students. It is deeply inspired by Krishnamurti's teaching, which encourages academic excellence, self-understanding, creativity and integrity. Please visit brockwood.org.uk for more information. You can also find our regular Krishnamurti quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on spirituality has five sections. This first extract is from the third question and answer meeting in Ojai, 1982, titled, Are There Levels of Spirituality? Do levels of spirituality or consciousness exist? What parts, what part do psychic healing, astral projection, the ability to see auras and entities, etc., play in all this, and can these interfere with relationship and our abilities to see clearly? I, quite, I don't know quite how to answer this. First of all, the question of first questioner, first question in this is do levels of spirituality or levels in consciousness exist. That is, is one more spiritual than the other? 
You understand? The more that is, is one nearer truth than the other fellow. Now, what is the meaning of the word more? The more is a measurement, isn't it? I am this, I will be more rich tomorrow. Or I am violent now, but I will not be violent another week's time. So the mind is always measuring. I am tall, you are short, you are fair, somebody is black, somebody is yellow, somebody is pink. Measurement. That is, measurement is comparison. And the word measure also plays part in meditation. Measure, measurement and meditation are related. Please, it's very important if you want to understand this. Why do human beings measure? Not for clothes, I'm not talking about that. Psychologically, inwardly, why do we want to measure ourselves with somebody? That is, the measurement of what is and what towards what should be. You follow this? I have I am not good today, but Give me time, I will be good, which is the allowing of time interval is the measure. You follow me? Are we together in this? When I have the concept of psychological time, I must that time implies measurement. You get this? So, the questioner says, is there in spirituality, whatever that word may mean for the moment, we are using the ordinary sense of that word, the accepted sense of that word, is there in spirituality a measurement? Where there is measurement, there is no spirituality. Right? A guru, a TA, a, a bishop, and so on, so on, so on, so on. There is this concept, this idea that someone is nearer God, nearer truth. God, I don't mean God, nearer truth. And, and he has achieved something, and I have to achieve that, and to achieve that I must have time, and I must measure myself every day. Right? And this is obviously so. 
utterly mundane, utterly physical. That is, I am a clerk in an office, and perhaps next year I'll be a superior clerk, and fourth year I'll be, ten years later I'll be executive. It is the same movement carried over into this into the psychological area. And that and so there is the the nearest disciple and the novitiate right there. There is a monastery out in Italy. The speaker used to go and visit it. Where the novitiate waited for nine years. You understand? After nine years, he was allowed to go into the inner sanctuary. There is a perfect measurement. And that's called spiritual growth. And the question I ask also, is there are there levels of levels in consciousness? That is the unconscious and the conscious. Right? This is what how we have divided consciousness. The, the hidden and the obvious. The, the thing that is dark and the thing that is light. We have divided consciousness that way. And in that consciousness there are several divisions. Now, to this speaker, consciousness is whole. It, is, it cannot be divided. Please see why. If, if the, there is consciousness, which is to be fully awake, then there is nothing hidden. I wonder. No, please don't agree to this so quickly. Go into it carefully. You see, Freud and all those gentlemen. Professionals have divided this, our consciousness, to various categories. And we poor laymen, not knowing, we accept all this. But as the speaker, as most many people do not read all this, perhaps they have studied them, their own states. One can see very clearly when one is conscious of something, either you are conscious fully or very, very partially, as most of us are. When you look at this marvelous country, the hills, the trees, the light, and the shadows, when you are completely aware of all this. There is no hidden shadows in your own mind. 
So if one is completely aware of oneself, there is no division between higher consciousness and lower consciousness. It is consciousness with all its content. One can divide. Belief in some sacred thing is higher than than my sexual sensory responses, but it's part of my consciousness, which I have divided for some pleasurable reasons, or for some desire to achieve something, or is a pattern which I have accepted uh, as measurement, and I measure myself. This is better than this. This is nobler than this. But it is part of this consciousness. Now, is there in and sorry, can my unconscious, that is, the deep, please listen to this, the deep undiscovered traces of fear. exist when I have gone into the whole movement of fear. You understand my question? I have examined fear and the causes of fear, because I want, because the mind has realised that any form of fear, hidden, secret, personal, of physical and so on, any form of fear is destructive. The mind has realised this, not verbally, but actually. So it is concerned completely with the freedom of fear, freedom from total fear, not partial fear. So it is willing it is open to all the hidden movements of fear to reveal itself through dreams, through acts, through various forms of. You know, when you are walking by yourself in a wood or on the road, suddenly you realize there is a movement of fear. Unconscious, which you have not realized before, which means your mind is open to to the revelation of your own fears. That requires a great deal of inquiry into the nature of fear, which we did last few days ago. So, the hidden. Dark in the fears that are in the deep recesses of one's consciousness in the mind can come out exposed naturally if one is insistent, urgent that there must be freedom from total fear. You follow all this? The very necessity of being free of fear 
brings about the total exposure of all fear. That demands watchfulness. Sensitivity to alert, be alert to every kind of feeling, nuances of feeling, the subtleties of reactions. So, as long as there is measurement, there must be division, both in consciousness and in so-called spirituality. What part do psychic healing, astral projections, the ability to see, blah, 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 play in all this, and can these interfere with the relationship and our abilities to see clearly? How does one answer this question? What prevents a human being from seeing clearly? Seeing, not optically, inward, seeing things as they are, very clearly, without any distortion. Outside agency, astral projections, imagination, prejudice, bias, conclusions which you hold on to, experience which which you think are important, on these obvious facts that prevent clarity of perception? Why don't we go into those rather than into astral projections? You know that word astral projection, so you say, I won't go into that, sorry. What part, um, psychic healing? One can heal only when there is no self. You understand? But self is so deceptive. So cunning that it hides behind all kinds of manner. Suppose I am a devout religious person attached to some form of symbol or idea, a projection, and that projection is me greater, nobler, is the highest form. I am still selfish, 
I'm still me, only glorified, as long as there is any sense of the Self, healing becomes rather tawdry. But when there is no Self at all, there is a possibility of healing. The second extract is from the first question and answer meeting at Brockwood Park in 1985, titled, Are Spiritual Experiences Illusional? In, at various times we've had mystical and spiritual experiences. How can we know if they are illusions unless we know reality? How do you answer such a question? If it was put to you, how do you approach it? How, what's your reaction to it? How do you come so close to it that the question itself unfolds? You understand? The question itself begins to evolve. If you are merely seeking an answer, it's already determined. Right? Are we seeing this together? To find an answer is fairly easy. But to delve into the question, to see all the complications of that question. It's like having the map of the world in front of you, seeing all the countries, the capitals, the villages, the hamlets, the rivers, the ocean, the hills, the mountains, the whole of it. How do you look at this question? Not the answer. Perhaps the response to the question may lie in the question. So, at various times we've had mystical and spiritual experiences. What is an experience? I'm just asking each other. What is an experience? And who experiences? Right? I may have had or are having some kind of mystical experience. Before I use the word mystical or experience, what do I mean by experience? And 
does experience involve recognition? Does it involve a sense of something happening to me from heaven or from some place or something or other, which I call mystical, which is not the daily experience, but something totally outside, which happens to me. And I call that mystical or spiritual. I like to, if I may, stick to those two words, spiritual and experience. Is there an experience without an experiencer? You understand my Are we together exploring into the question or are you waiting me, waiting for the speaker to explore it? So we are walking together, step in step, slowly or fast, but we are together, step by step. Right? We agree to that? If we do not agree, if we are friends talking over this problem. I've had a spiritual experience, suppose. And what do I mean by those two words? Experience. Something new, something that I've already had renewed, or something that is happening to the experiencer. You understand? And if the experiencer is experiencing, and that experiencing is a form of recognition, that is the remembrance, identification, and so on, to that which I call experience, then there must be in that feeling that I have already known it, otherwise I couldn't recognize it. It's fairly simple, isn't it? I don't want to labour the point. It's fairly clear. As long as there is an experiencer, experiencing, then it is something that is happening to the experiencer. Something separate, something which is not ordinary, which is not a daily, boring, uh, habitual experience that one has. Right? Are we playing the game together? So, as long as the experiencer is there, every kind of experience, call it mundane or spiritual or holy or sacred or 
releasing energy and all that stuff that goes on, mostly nonsense. Then, it, what is important in this process, experiencer, experiencing? What is most important is the experiencer, right? He's gathering. So, when there is an experiencer, it gets more and more subliminally egotistic. More and more, I know a great deal, but you don't know. I've had marvelous spiritual experience. I'm illumined. Poor chap, you are not. Come with me. Give me all your money, then you'll be quite safe. They're playing this game, I'll show you. Surrender yourself. Put on the beads which I give you. And all that rather silly game that's going on in the world. And what is spiritual? Religious? Something holy? Something unexpected, something totally out of the ordinary. Why do we want something totally outside the daily life? Go on, please answer this question. Which means something totally different from our daily life. then we are bored with our daily life. The habits, the the loneliness, the despair, the attachments, the uh, power and all the rest of it. We want to avoid all that and invite heaven, which is called spiritual. We can deceive ourselves so enormously we have the capacity to deceive ourselves incredibly. Right? What has Christianity is based on belief and faith. Sorry, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. Just pointing out for two thousand years and you go across the ocean to India. And there, 3,000, 5,000 years old, the same process of selling God. Why do we have to believe all of this? Because we are frightened, We want to know the unknown, or, and so on. We don't have to go into all that. So what is illusion, and what is reality? You follow? 
Are we following this question? Questioner says, how can we know if there are illusions unless we know reality? Then we have to examine what is reality. What is reality? The real, the actual. Is your sitting there? The speaker is up here, unfortunately. And reality is nature, that tree, that animal, that dog, the marvellous earth, the blue sky about us. Reality. Right? Reality I have feeling for my wife, husband, sister and so on. And so the whole movement of recognition and the actual, right? I wonder if you are are together in this. The actual, you and the speaker are sitting now, 12 o'clock, that's actual. There is wind. I hope it won't rain. And the actual is the nature, the birds, the rivers, the water, and so on. And you, you, the questioner says, I can't know what is an illusion unless know I know reality. Right? What is reality in ourselves? Is there anything real in us, actual, or is it all a movement, change? The other day in Switzerland, when we closed Saunon, gathering all together, no more, some people came up and said, to, uh, to the speaker, we are so sad we have closed it. And I, the speaker says, when you are sad, it's about time we closed it. <laughs> you understand? We closed it. So nobody wants a change. Very few people want fundamental change. And the questioner says, if I do reality, then I know what is illusion. So we should look at illusion, the word. What is illusion? The word itself in a dictionary means something you play with. Rudere. Something you invent, enjoy yourself, I am God, I am uh, whatever it is. I am Napoleon or I am such a great man. You play with something that is not actual. 
one has pain, a despair, a sense of tremendous, unaccountable loneliness. That's actual, precise. And we create an illusion that somebody is going to help us, somebody is going to fulfill our lives, make us feel not lonely. That's all illusions. The actual fact is one is desperately lonely. So it's fairly simple to see for oneself, if one wants to, what is an illusion, what is reality, and why this craze for experience? We've had sexual experience, thousands of thousands of experiences. Everything going from here across the field, you see the birds, the house martins and so on. That's an experience, but you don't call that spiritual. I see you sitting there, it is a challenge, it's moving. So, what is important in all this is why the experiencer invents all this. You understand? Why the experiencer? Shall we care? Yeah. Why the experiencer has become so important? Is there? a period where the experiencer is not? That's a real question, not what is reality, what is illusion, what is experience, and all the rest of it, but are there a, is there a period, a length of time, a space, where the experiencer, the observer, and so on, is not? then you don't want experiences. You understand? There's nothing. See, that's word. The word nothing. Sorry, I'm not a dictionary. <laughs> Means not a thing. Not a thing put, not a thing of thought. You understand? Not a nothing means there is the end of time and thought. That's where there is no experience at all. That's the real thing, not all this. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk in Sanan, 1980, titled, There is no spiritual authority.
Is it possible to be a light to oneself, not the light of another? Because we are bra- our brain has been trained and evolved and accepted authority. Not only the outward authority of law, which is necessary, but the authority, the psychological authority, the so-called spiritual authority. We have become slaves to them, to that authority. And so we are controlled, shaped, connived at by those who say, We know, we have attained, we will tell you what to do, follow us, we will lead you to heaven, save you from your sins and all that business that goes on in the world. And such a mind, committed, can never be free. And without freedom you can never find out what truth is. So, could we in listening to this obvious fact, because we cannot, we feel, stand by ourselves, we always want to lean on somebody. whether it is the husband or the wife, whether it is your girlfriend or boyfriend or boyfriend and a boyfriend, we think by leaning, seeking comfort from another, our brains have depended on the authority of the Spirit. Please do pay little attention to this if you are serious. And so our brains have been conditioned to accept spiritual authority. The priest, the guru, the man who says, I am enlightened, so I will lead you to that. A man who is enlightened, when he says he is enlightened, he is not. Because enlightenment is not a thing to be experienced. It is a state of mind. This gone beyond all thought. 
We'll go into that when we talk about later on, about meditation and so on. So, can the mind, your brain, which has been trained to accept authority, and therefore its own particular discipline, can that brain immediately free itself from that authority? Not the authority of law, not the authority of the policeman. You may disagree with the policeman, but there is the common, supposed to be a common protector and so on. The law that you must keep to the right in this country and in England keep to the left. So, now can you, by in listening, see the consequences of accepting authority outside the authority of God, you understand? The God who has been invented by thought and the authority of the worldwide priesthood which says, I will help you to attain, help you to reach. You following all this? Because when you accept such authority, you must invariably bring about disorder. Not only disorder in yourself, but also the disorder that brings about different authorities. The Islamic authorities, the Buddhist authorities, and so on. They're all at each other. I'm a more, as one very famous guru told me, I began with two disciples, now I've got 10,000 disciples. You understand, sirs, all this? So, when there is the acceptance of psychological, so-called spiritual, the authority of the spirit, the inwardness, then there must be disorder, because it brings conflict in yourself. You may say, I accept that authority because it pleases me, it gives me help, it gives me a sense of protection. So you are depending on another. And when you depend on another, 
the consequence is fear, division, and all the conflicts that go on between what you are and what you should be. Right? So the mind, including the brain, so the mind has lived in this pattern, which is in the pattern of disorder. Look at your own minds, I don't have to... Look at your own minds, how disorderly it is. Disorder means conflict. Conflict between what is going on, the reactions, the responses, the reflexes, and the authority, the sanctions, the so-called illuminatory dictatorship, and the fact of what you are, the conflict, which is always the desire to become something. Right? So the brain has lived in this disorder, going from one guru to another. If you can't find enlightenment here, you go off to Japan or India, and that's the latest racket. So truth is where you are, not in India, not in any other country or any other people. is where you are, and where you are with all your troubles, worries, depressions and the miseries, you have to go finish with them and go beyond. That nobody on earth can give you that freedom from sorrow, freedom from anxiety. It's only you that can do it. So it's vain and useless to go off to various countries, seeking various spiritual authorities and living in their concentration camp, which is called ashramas, This is the game we've all played for millennia. This is not something new. For two thousand years, the priests of the Western world played this game. In India, they've been much longer at this. So this is the cause of our conflict. 
because we are looking to another. And can you, as you are listening, as we are thinking together, taking the journey, walking over the same path, not your, my path, your path, the path of observation, can you see what your mind, your brain has become and end this sense of spiritual authority immediately? So that you, who are the, who are humanity, you are humanity, you are not an individual, because you go, you go through the same door of anxiety, misery, uncertainty, fear, pleasure, sorrow, as everybody in the world does. So you are humanity, you are the world, and your brain is the world. And if you see immediately the truth of this fact, that conflict, in essence, comes when you are accepting authority, spiritual authority, from another. And this conflict arises not only from that, but being incapable of observing actually what is going on within yourself, without any distortion, without any judgment, just to watch it. The fourth extract is from the third question and answer meeting in Sarnen, 1983, titled, What is a Spiritual Life? What is a spiritual life? A religious life. Not all the religions, not the monks and all that. They are not religious. I know they will abhor me when I say that. I'll show it logically why it's not. It's all put together by thought. The invention of God is put there by thought. It's simple, all this clear, when you understand the activity of thought. So what is a spiritual life? I'm asking you. You have strange robes, who attend churches, mass, or do some kind of puja in India, or go to temples and mosques. What is a religion? What is a spiritual life? The word spiritual is not pleasant, but we'll use it for the moment. What is a spiritual life? Would you say spiritual life 
is a life of total freedom. Freedom from sorrow, freedom from fear, freedom from all the conditioning. Right? To be free. Most of us are in prison, prison of our own making, of ideas, or other people's concepts, their own prejudices, their own experience, they are like bars that hold us in prison. Most of us are slaves to tradition. Slaves to some kind of belief, faith, or to experience, to be totally, completely free of all that. Freedom, as we said before, that very word implies love. If there is no freedom, there is no love. You cannot possibly achieve that freedom through some figure, symbol, person, idea. Freedom means the ending. Ending of the self, the me. The images I have about myself, then when the mind, brain is free, only then is there that supreme intelligence. Not all the rituals, all the you know, all the trivialities, for God's sake. Sitting in a posture, meditating, breathing, you follow? That's not, if I may, if one can use that word spiritual, that's not all. <coughs> that's all the movement of memory and thought. And as thought is limited, which we've gone into, I go now. So we have reduced our life into a very small, petty little affair. To be free of that entirely. And it's possible. Don't accept my word for it. I say, it is possible. Find out, do it, so that we, a religious, a sp so-called spiritual life, then there is no division. 
between you and Arada. You won't kill Arada. Your country is the country of the world. The world is your country. The world is your religion. But when you see you belong to no religion, living a spiritual life, a life that is holy, is not something for the elite, for the few. But if you want, if that is what is necessary, you walk at it. Not pretend and all kind of nonsense. So a religious mind, a religious human being, one that doesn't belong to any religion, But a, hint, but, a ma- but a brain that has, that is functioning with truth, and therefore with great intelligence and compassion. The final extract in this episode is from the seventh talk in New Delhi, 1963, titled The Religious Spirit. Now we begin to see what is the religious spirit. The man who is, has ideals is not religious. Take the question of non-violence. You love that word in this country, and you don't mean a word about it. It's just a word to cover up your violence, because you are violent. If you are not violent, do you think all the things that are going on for a minute you would allow? The brutality, the callousness, the indifference, the complete lack of respect, not for your bosses, I don't mean that stupid stuff. I mean respect. Therefore, when you have respect, you have respect for everybody, not for your ugly people in power. So, A religious mind is really the revolutionary mind, because it's acting without idea, therefore instantly. It is only such a mind, and therefore it's only a mind that is new, fresh, innocent, a decisive mind. It's only the young mind, you understand, young mind that can decide, that can say, this is so. Not out of impetuosity, not out of some personal opinion or so, 
but because it sees. Actually, without contradict, it observes what is true. It's only the young mind, the innocent mind. And the religious mind, the spirit, is not divorced from beauty. Now, without gain, have to examine semantically these two words, the meaning of these words, beauty. You understand? Look at your religion. There is not one atom of beauty in it. Is there? Look at it. Beauty implies highest form of sensitivity, not for pictures, the the sensitivity of a mind that is alive, fresh. Therefore everything is, has its own beauty, even the most ugly thing, which is not an idea. We have in this country divorced beauty from religion, and therefore you have ceased to be religious. Because again, your saints have said beauty implies the woman or the man. Therefore, don't be sensitive, suppress, hide, run away. Don't look. Suppress your passion, boil, but suppress it. And to find God, you must have this extraordinary energy. But you need this extraordinary energy, which I am going to talk about presently. So, having divided religion, beauty from religion, you have ceased to be religious. To you it doesn't matter a tree, the colour, the sky, the run, the light on the water, a bird on the wing, it doesn't matter to you. But God, repeat God and the Gita and this and that, oh, tremendous meaning. So our lives have become hard, brutal, and the saints have insisted on austerity. Therefore, you say, I must suppress. You know, austerity is the most lovely thing, not practiced by your saints and all the rest of the gang, but I am using the word gang purposely, without any disrespect. <clears throat> to feel this sense of austerity is a lovely thing, it's not hard. And you can only be austere when, you are sen when there is sensitivity. You understand? To be sensitive, to be, have all your nerves, your eyes, ears functioning at the highest level. A 
and that requires an astonishing awareness of every movement of your thought, whether you are suppressing, why you are suppressing, what is, you are, you are alive. You are watching every word, every gesture, every movement of your body and eyes. And so out of this astonishing awareness, sensitivity, there comes an austerity, without harshness, without bigotry, without uh, cruelty. Therefore, out of this religious revolution, which in essence is the highest form of intelligence which is to be highly sensitive, not to your particular likes and dislikes, everybody is, but to be sensitive to the whole human existence, with all the complexities, with all the problems, with all the despairs, anxieties, sorrows, to be aware of it, to watch it. And in the very process of observation there is discipline, and that discipline is austere, without any sense of suppression. Then a religious spirit or the mind which is in a in constant state of revolution, I explained, I won't go back into it. It's only that mind that can find this energy. There is an energy. There is a source of energy which is, can never be touched by a mind in conflict, by the so-called religious mind. Do what they will. There are Man is seeking this energy, because that is the source, the origin. Don't give it a name, it has no name. It is an energy, and it is only that energy that is created, not the painter, not the writer, not the people who are trying to be creative, think creatively, they are not. It's only the religious mind, the religious mind that is uh, in a revolution, that is clear. It's only such a mind that can find the source of this energy in action, because that energy comprehends the whole and not particular fragments and try to answer every fragment. It deals entirely with the whole problem of man, not just one particular level of his particular problem. And we have lost that energy, not lost, probably we never had it. It's only by discovering, really discovering it, not being told like a lot of infants, by really finding it out, 
through religious revolution, through this sense of highest beauty, which demands all your attention, and that attention is virtue, because the cultivated virtue is no longer virtue, it's just a, a, a habit formed to function in a particular pattern. Virtue is something out of time, it cannot be cultivated. You are or you are not. It's like cultivating humility. Just think of that absurdity. A vain man trying to cultivate humility. He'll remain at the end still vain. He has learned the word humility and has covered it up. And to be, to have this humility, you have to destroy completely, consciously as, as well as unconsciously, all vanity or pride. And on the instant, not gradually. So the religious mind has no time Therefore, no idea, as a psychological idea according to which it is functioning, a religious mind is acting, not socially, economically, politically, it is acting, because it has found, it has discovered that source, uncontaminated by thought, uncontaminated by conflict, and it is only the mind that is really understands the true religious spirit that can find that thing which is beyond all words. <coughs>